Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Um, if you've been listening to the show in these last uh, last few weeks, you notice that I have been focusing a lot on money, which is probably a good thing to do because... Uh, lots of us that have been involved with broadband are realizing that um, paying for these networks is becoming uh, a, a challenge for a number of communities as we try to figure out how do we uh, how do we take care of the bills for this thing. Um, something that is starting to bubble up um, is is crowdfunding, which is uh, creating a mechanism by which people in the community and stakeholders and others who who may be interested for one reason or another are all called on sort of in this public forum to uh, raise money for a project. And we have gone from Kickstarter, which everybody probably recognizes, which has made a fairly decent chunk of change, to uh, now specialized crowdfunding uh, web-based platforms. Uh, and needless to say, it was just a matter of time until we came up with one uh, crowdfunding platform specifically geared to broadband. And today I'm very happy to have um, two co-founders for Crowdfiber, which is a new platform that not only uh, addresses crowdfunding, but also a number of other logistics very important to the process of getting broadband into place. And uh, my uh, guests today are Greg Richardson and uh, Bailey White, both have been in the um, community broadband business for actually a little longer than I have, which seems like forever, but only since 2005. But uh, these guys know a lot about uh, community broadband. And gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So let's kick right into this. Um, I guess we'll start from... Uh, how are you different than Kickstarter, or maybe even how are you different from Neighborly? Because some of my listeners may have remembered that uh, Neighborly was on the show last year, and I wrote about them recently. Uh, but I think Kickstarter is everybody's main point of reference when we talk about crowdfunding. So let's go from there to, you know, what is Crowdfiber all about? Uh, sure. Well, I guess in terms of... Um how we're different from those platforms. We we took a lot of inspiration from all of the companies in the um in the crowdfunding market in terms of how to um how to establish campaigns and how to work with the relationship between backers and in their case entrepreneurs or, or civic groups. Um Crowdfiber brings in some additional capabilities that from our experience in working in, in these broadband projects we uh we had discovered were were important. Um for example, these uh, broadband projects, a lot of uh, a lot of the focus is on things that are spatial in nature, things that are geographic. Um, so we've built in support in Crowdfiber for being able to, for example, draw uh, boundaries of campaign zones and then use those campaign zones in the way that a traditional crowdfunding platform might use, um, uh, m- might set it up in terms of uh, setting up a campaign for a product or a service. Um, so I think that's one of the key things. Um, the the other is just frankly from our experience this this project grew out of our consulting business where we worked with service providers and and community organizations and um we had a lot of experience in in terms of 
identifying what some of the challenges were for, for these projects to succeed. On the community side, they're struggling with um, how to attract investment in many, in many cases or how to organize in the community. And on the service provider side, they, they're in many cases wanting to make investments in more advanced services, but struggling with difficult uh, rural economics, uh, struggling with uh, the need to produce certain rates of return, uh, and the economics in this business can be tough. So um, we, uh, they really built CrowdFiber from that standpoint, building up from what we think some of the problems and some of the challenges and the needs are in, in, the, uh, in the broadband space. Mm-hmm. And you've been working on this for nine months, you said, before the, the show kicked off. That's right. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the genesis. I mean, you've you've obviously have been consulting in this space for quite a while, and you have a um, a crowd. Uh, I'm sorry, you have a um, community perspective and also a provider perspective because obviously these two work together. Um, what are some of the, I don't know, sol- sol- solutions to the challenges that you saw that you basically have now translated into a web-based tool? Well, I guess the past few years for us have been, like a lot of consultants in this space, have been pretty dominated by uh, the projects that centered around some of the broadband stimulus funding. So we had RUS and, and commerce projects. Um, one of the things that we we worked uh, with and we saw issues with right away was um, uh, a lot of money going into building middle mile uh, fiber infrastructure to serve these anchor institutions, so schools and libraries and uh, you know and, and uh, local governments and so on. But those providers, in many cases, certainly the ones that we worked with, were interested in edging out. They were interested in being able to take last mile service into areas that went beyond what the grant may have covered. Um, so, as I said before, you get right back into into this issue of uh, difficult economics. Um, demand aggregation is at the core of, of what CrowdFiber uh, focuses on. And we looked at what Google Fiber had done in, in Kansas City and some of the great tools that they'd made available for the communities um, for the communities to aggregate their demand and then that demand to be presented neighborhood by neighborhood. And uh, that was pretty important. I think there's some great ideas there. We looked at that and and combined with what was going on in the crowdfunding market, thought that we're just don't, we're just scratching the surface of what's possible in giving these tools to uh, communities and service providers to you know to allow them to work together. When you look at the the uh, sort of positioning of the product, we describe it as a marketplace, and I think that's really what our vision has been. That at the end of the day, it's not just about community groups working on one set of projects and service providers working on another. Most of the communities that we work in, there's uh, there's an interest in those two coming together, the demand and the supply, you know, meeting in the middle. But that's been pretty elusive. Um, you know, even over our 10-year history, we've worked on a lot of projects trying to form public, public-private partnerships, and uh, that kind of uh, organization with all the different interests is a is a very difficult thing to achieve. So we mm-hmm. thought part of the problem here is they need better tools, and that that's um, kind of led to the development of CrowdFiber. Mm-hmm. Um. Now you call this a, a, a marketplace, and I don't want to nitpick, but actually I do want to try to catch this call. We do have a caller calling in. Hold on one second. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Do we have a caller on the line? Hello. Hello, hello. Maybe not. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was talking about you know a marketplace, and I think 15 years ago or so, marketplaces 
at the high point of the web, high, um, you know, the e-commerce back in 95 or whatever, you know, a marketplace was where people went to sort of to shop for stuff, right? So if I was in the, um, you know, uh, sports arena, you know, the marketplace would be a lot of, where a lot of vendors would have their mini websites and customers would come in and you would do a lot of shopping because all of the buyers and sellers were, were in the one place. Is that concept really what crowd fiber is doing or are you sort of redefining what a marketplace is? Well, no, I, I think, um, first of all, there's a manual marketplace that exists out there already. You know, it's, it's uh, feasibility studies and town hall meetings and, you know, all of that really is, is a marketplace in any community. Um, and uh, what we're trying to do is just provide tools that allow some of that organization to, to work better you know, if you if you imagine uh, sort of a longer term view of this, um, when there are many what we call greenfield campaigns running, greenfield campaigns are a certain type of campaign in CrowdFiber that you set up if you're not a service provider and you're trying to use the tool to aggregate demand and pr to present your community to the to the market to potentially attract investment or to justify investment. So, it, and and there's quite a pent up demand. You know, Craig, as you know from your work, there's a pent up demand for communities who want to. They want to take matters into their own hands. They want to be able to uh, to do something, and and that something can't be you know wait on Google. You know maybe they'll come to my town eventually. Um, and so, you know, the marketplace idea is is really about uh, that pent up demand in presenting communities and and aggregating demand and doing useful things to prepare it for broadband investment. And then on the service provider side, uh, it's you, you know you might imagine the ability for a service provider who wants to invest in a geographic area. But they're not really sure where the best return and the best investment for them is going to be made, given their resources. Um, so imagine that service provider having the ability to come to a service like CrowdFiber and review and consider a variety of campaigns, greenfield campaigns that have been uh, that have been developed. That's really where the marketplace idea came in, and, and I agree with it. There's sort of a stigma uh, associated with uh, uh, with the term marketplace, but. In our in our uh, definition, what we're really referring to is a set of tools that allow some of these interests to be better aligned. Mm -hmm. Well, let me describe a scenario to you, and I think this is really what you're getting at as far as um, you know the, this marketplace idea as you're defining it. <clears throat> so, in Three Lakes, Wisconsin, they had uh, this very sparsely populated area. They had um, very few options as far as as providers and a lot of even small regional providers didn't want to go into that community because of the sparse population however the the, the city officials felt like they had uh, enough demand to justify providers coming in so what they did was they had a county fair same as you know we you know your traditional small town county fair got about, I don't know, several hundred of the townspeople to come together, but they also had um, little booths for providers. And so there might have been, I don't know, seven or eight providers that showed up at this booth, and because they, they had all these um, residents that were there, you know, talking to them, explaining what their needs were, what they wanted, and so forth, several of these providers then took a second look at the community and figured out that, well, based on the numbers of folks that they had talked to, there was a need that justified them uh, creating, uh, in, in this case, wireless services. That's ultimately what ended up coming into there with like two wireless companies 
and a cable company, but they did the math based on having all of these people come together in this fair kind of environment. So it sounds like what you guys are doing is creating a similar kind of environment where a bunch of people can come on and you can then get providers to also come on and say, look, see, this is what, you know, we're seeing in real time or, you know, over a course of several weeks, what the real interest is in your product. Now, can you create a service to meet that need? Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I think that is right, Craig. So the okay. the communities can do that. And then also, you know, the flip side, right, is so we have sort of a community product and a service provider product, or at least a view, uh, um, those two different views. And so the service providers actually can say also proactively, look, you know, we've got um, fiber splice points in these locations. We've got assets in these other locations. And, you know, um, we don't want to commission a big marketing study. We, we really think that money talks, and we want to see, in reality, who really is interested in, in a service that we could provide. Uh, and so service providers can start to explore offering advanced services in areas that maybe they haven't before uh, pretty effectively, we hope, by using this tool. Mm-hmm. So when you're saying, for example, that the provider can come in and take a look at this view uh, and say, okay, well, based on our information, we have this or that resource in place, does CrowdFiber allow for some sort of mapping of resources as well, or is it just primarily uh just the demand um uh is what's being mapped yeah that that's what we think you know, when Greg was talking about the g i s component that's what we think is an interesting piece of what we're offering because it it is very geographic and g i s oriented and so you know one example is we've got a competitive local exchange carrier privately owned uh fiber provider uh here in Rome Georgia, and they're now doing uh market expansion and looking at different options. Uh, based on their GIS data they've loaded into the system. Yeah, so, Craig, the way that works, um, uh, the service provider edition of the product allows two types of, uh, of different types of campaigns to be created. So, um, in the service provider world, what Bailey's describing is generally called edge out, and you, you have a situation where I've got an existing, let's say, middle mile fiber infrastructure, and what I want to do is I want to expand, extend that infrastructure into, for example, residential neighborhoods surrounding that, that middle mile fiber, or even it could be business parks, it could be a variety of things. Um, that has a certain unique set of issues and challenges associated with it in terms of how you might aggregate demand. Um, another type of uh, service provider issue to deal with is referred to as infill, and, and that deals with situations where you have an existing provider who already services, let's say, all the homes in a neighborhood, they may service them with copper today, uh, the DSL, or it could be a local cable company. And their interest is in, if I can get uh, 30% or 20% of the people in that neighborhood to subscribe to my legacy product, my copper-based product, for example, um, then I can justify uh, taking fiber to all of the homes in that neighborhood. Um, and so th those are very um, specific needs. And, you know, back to your question before about sort of how we different from traditional um, uh, uh, crowdfunding platforms, those are areas that we've been very thoughtful about in building the product, and we've tried to address features that would that would tailor that to allow, for example, an infill provider who says, you know, if 30% if of the people in this neighborhood will, will sign up for my existing product, then I'll upgrade that product to uh, to deploy fiber. Mm -hmm. So now, 
again, if I make sure I'm understanding this correct. So the crowdfunding side, I think most people gather or understand. So we're basically talking about maybe the community is trying to raise a hundred thousand, or maybe they're trying to raise a million dollars, or what have you, and they would use um, crowdfiber in the call it traditional uh, crowdfunding mode. You know, here's our objective, here's our deadline. Um, you know, here are our benefits for um, people who contribute at different levels, and so forth and so on. And so that's the fairly traditional part of the of the of the product, right? And then the um, all of these other features, this mapping and this ability to um, uh, you know, add GIS data and so forth. This is the extra oomph behind the product and the main differentiator, correct? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great way to uh, a great way to say it. There's a basic set of things that you'd expect expect in any crowdfunding platform: the ability to accept payment from a backer, the ability to create a campaign and present the campaign, the ability to send updates to your backers. You know, these are all sort of you know crowdfunding 101 features, um, but it's really these other things we're talking about that are more tailored towards uh more tailored towards the the broadband uh, industry and the the needs of communities those those are really where most of our focus has been mm -hmm. now to flip it back around to the service provider view for a second are the um <clears throat> are the service providers able to collect uh payments so you know the, with the Google fiberhood drive you know it was about demand aggregation, but it was also kind of getting people to pony up some money so there'd be some skin in the game, and that's sort of a validation of their level of interest or potential level of interest. Um, yeah, so that's, that's right. Okay, so, so, so they can... So, Craig, the way that... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so so providers can do that exercise of collecting 10 bucks, 20 bucks, or whatever as part of the, yeah, so, part of the process. So when the when the campaign owner uh, sets up the campaign, um, they create what are called pledge levels, which basically you know, they can be, get very creative with those. But you may have a pledge level that says, "Hey, I'm just a supporter, and I want to throw you know ten bucks in. I think this is a good thing for the town." Uh, you may have other pledge levels that are defined according to a product. So, so for example, you may have a hundred megabit uh, pledge level. You may have a gigabit pledge level. Those have uh, whatever dollar amounts associated with the pledge level that the campaign owner you know feels is needed. Um, once those are set up, uh, backers uh, come to the site and they search for their address. Uh, when the backer searches for their, their address, it tells them whether or not they're in an active campaign area um, by matching them to one of, the, one of the zones. And at that point, the backer has the ability to process that commitment to uh, the payment for the pledge level. Um, that's all handled pretty much standard in the industry, and it's, the, it's uh, what we chose to do as well, which is it's handled through Amazon Payments. Uh, very stable, secure, and, and pretty powerful uh, payment processor. There's something different that we've done, and we'll talk more about this next week, uh, particularly for service providers. The service provider edition of CrowdFiber allows for the ability to designate a third-party payment processor. Um, if you look at a company, let's say the one Bailey was talking about, for example, uh, here in Rome, Georgia, they already have the ability to process uh, uh, their own uh, payments because they have an existing base of customers. So they don't want to pay um, fees necessarily to am the fees that may be associated with Amazon payments in order to do that. So that, that's one of the things that um, a little bit of you know secret sauce that we've done is to provide the ability for service providers to um, to take the payment process out of band, take it out of the the workflow of um, 
uh, of of uh, fiber itself. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I don't think anything really exists of this nature um, currently in the market, right? I mean, this is all fairly new new stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly there have been campaigns run. Uh, you know, we we watched. Uh, we're really encouraged by the one in Blacksburg, Virginia. Craig, you and I exchanged a couple emails on that. Um, mm-hmm. The campaign that was. Uh, Raised about ninety thousand dollars for the community to to uh, uh, implement a gigabit connection at a location. They're doing some entrepreneur uh, startup village work, and we're really encouraged to see those kind of things. I I think that there's a there's a really big question mark, and none of us know the answer to this. It, it's only experiment uh, with the platform that's going to answer this, and that is to what extent will crowdfunding in this broadband area be viable as as a way to raise capital to build networks, as opposed to to what extent will crowdfunding be used as a way to aggregate demand to support uh, a business case for capital that may be raised through through other means? Um, I think some of the early projects like this we've seen, I think Neighborly did a campaign that was um, focused on putting Wi-Fi in a public housing uh, mm-hmm. complex. Um, those projects, obviously the capital required to put Wi-Fi in a complex is not, you know, is not as high as the, uh, the capital required to, to do a fiber-to-the-home deployment in a community. Um, so I think that's a big question mark. I, I'm really eager to see what happens when people get their hands on this and they go out and create campaigns and they market those campaigns within the community and, um, you know, how much money is it possible to to raise towards things like capital investment? We, we don't know the answer to that yet. Mm-hmm. So now have there been other um, projects besides these two that you guys are aware of? Because I had someone... Um, before the show, send me a note asking about, you know, where else is this this happening? But I think the the examples are still fairly new, right? They are. You know, probably the most successful to date has been the Google activities. I mean, I, I would argue that the Kansas City work they did was probably pretty groundbreaking, and uh, certainly I think that's going to come to Austin now and and also um, into Utah and. You know, I think you look at that and you look at how many people got uh, involved in those campaigns, uh, organizations that started to actually work those campaigns and things like that. It was it was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be left to be seen, obviously. But I think the, the with the pent up demand, I think that basically people are are really going to be looking for ways uh, in, in which they can do it. And really, I think the big question is going to be how creative are people willing to be? Because I think that, um, you know, those folks who can only see, you know, their their options being, you know, we can either raise taxes, we can go get a bond, or we can, uh, you know, try to find an investor. Um, you know, that they don't necessarily see the, the wider range of possibilities. I think those folks might be left behind, but I think those communities that are really, you know, risk takers, uh, you know, their their mayors or their city councils or whatever, it's going to be the risk takers that will um, push the envelope and really define how crowdfunding um, evolves. Would, yeah, would that be Craig, I, I think you're right. I, you know, I think there's a whole lot of uh, – it, it's very, very early in the game, even though we've had these wild runaway successes like Kickstarter and these big campaigns and things. I think it's so early um, – I actually think one of the things you're going to see is that you're going to see crowdfunding become used in a variety of different contexts in a in a broader uh, finance uh, system. So imagine, for example, you have 
scenarios where community banks get approached for these kinds of investments all the time, and, and traditional banks get approached for investments, and it's very difficult for them in many cases. It may be a balance sheet of the provider. It may be a collateral. It may be credit history. You know, there's all kinds of risks for them to make the investment. Um, wh one of the things I could envision happening is that community banks or other banks who want to make those investments could say back to the party approaching them for the if it was debt-based, um, okay, so you're looking for a million dollars to build a network. Um, we're not able to do that today, but if you'd go out and run a, a campaign to both um, uh, better see what the demand is in the area you want to build and also present us back with some uh, some capital that you've raised to, to buy the risk down, I think there's mm -hmm. some very, very interesting things. You know, I suspect that um, the companies like Neighborly, you know, already have, have – uh, uh, have, have uh, been involved or, or been, you know, studying issues like that because I think their kinds of projects, being civic, um, their kinds of projects are probably uh, the first ones where uh, things like that may show up. They're more capital intensive. Um, they involve community organizations such as banks and others. Uh, so I, I'm pretty excited about how that plays out as well, but it just seems like we're early in the first quarter of um, uh, of this whole issue and we're we're barely out of the batter's box when you try to apply these um, these methods and, and these systems to broadband. Mm -hmm. So um, it'll be interesting because on Wednesday we have someone coming in from uh, Stern Brothers to talk about traditional uh, banks and institutions and their willingness uh, or lack of willingness to support broadband. So I think that interview will be a good complement to this one because they will give a picture you know of, of where where banks are, are maybe standing on this. I know one of the points that was made up by um, uh, our our guest who's coming in is that if you if a community comes to the table with credible showing of support, either through memorandum of understanding and all that, or you know pre subscriptions, uh, that if they reach a certain threshold, they will be considered you know, serious loan candidates by banks and institutions. So I can see then CrowdFiber becoming a cool tool to get to that first hurdle by being able to go out and say, look, this is really what our demand is, and by the way, here are the maps, and here are uh, pre-commitments, and here are pre-dollar commitments and so forth, and then giving them a leverage um, uh, to, to go forward and say, look, we are loan worthy. And I mean, am I am I projecting too much hope, or is that a reasonable amount of hope for you know what a tool like yours can do? No, I think that's reasonable, Craig. I, you know, I've heard that in the venture capital world now that if someone comes with an idea and they haven't they haven't tested it in a crowdfunding platform, people can look at it and say, well, why why didn't you validate this concept? And it, it seems to me like this could become the same case here. Aha! Yes. And, and maybe then angel investors take on a different um, on a different role. I mean, the one thing about the project in Kansas City for Juniper Village, I believe it is, um, is that they did line up some a, a couple of donors for you know large amounts of of contribution ahead of time, and then use the the platform, the neighborly platform to um you know get a lot of the smaller donations to to bridge the gap and then in the end um oh, what was it ruckus i believe it was uh came in and donated right. a, a, a certain number of pieces of equipment to then 
completed the the wireless network. So it was not that Neighborly carried the weight by itself, but it was a very good organizing platform to kind of pull these different pieces and commitments and so forth, pulling them all together, like a great orchestrator, as that might be a good way to describe it. Yeah, that, that that's right, sense? Craig. And, well, it sure does. I mean, I, I've been thinking that, you know, eventually, um, you know, the system will, or it's not the system, but the, the ultimate decisions by service providers will rely on all kinds of inputs, right? So perhaps data from this, perhaps data on universal service reform and other types of funding that's out there. Uh, who, who knows what, right? But mm -hmm. that um, there'll be many data points that are used in making decisions about expanding in markets or or reinvesting in markets and, and upgrading services. Right. And, you know, I'm also a big fan of, you know, putting these kinds of tools into place, even though we're not sure what the back-end result's going to be, but to put them in to facilitate the creative process, you know, because now that you have this process, now you can see the possibilities, now you can see the ability to, you know, uh, pull in data and map it, then add data, that, you know, to it from other, you know, GIS sources that the creative minds in the trenches will then say, well, we can now do X and Y and we can go, you know, do a better job of fundraising because we can do, you know, A and B and so forth and so on. So it is the creative process that gets facilitated, and again, that is what makes the the you know a, a product like this worthwhile. And you know, another obvious question is, what is it? How, how are you going to do the you know the pricing structure, or or you know how do people get into this project, and how do you guys make money when all is said and done? So, um, Craig. Uh we're launching into this public beta period. Um, I can announce on your call that uh, that launch date is now set for Tuesday, next Tuesday, the 18th, and there'll be some more information coming out about that. Um, pricing uh, decisions are not finalized, uh, but I can tell you sort of directionally uh, where we're at. Mm -hmm. um, first, from the standpoint of just our principal, you know, we have a principal here that, that says we want uh, CrowdFiber to be available to the broadest number of communities that you know, represent this pent-up demand we've been talking about. So that's been really important to us. Um, now, that said, uh, we have limited resources during this public beta, and it is a public beta, so we expect there to be glitches here and there, and, and, uh, and, and that's the reason we're doing it. Um, so we have limited resources, and we want to make it available to the broadest community that we can. So the way the, uh, the, way the pricing is structured today, as Bailey mentioned this before, we have two editions of the product today. There's a community edition and a service provider edition. Um, the community edition will allow you to create uh, create a campaign uh, to have essentially an unlimited number of zones and backers. Uh, zones are, are equivalent to what Google referred to as fiber hoods. These would be mm -hmm. neighborhoods or, or areas. Um, uh, let's see. There's a basic support via email with that. So you, you see the pattern here. This is pretty much what you'd expect from a, a, a typical community edition of, of a product like this. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, with that community edition, you can create only one type of campaign, and that's called uh, Greenfield. And that basically means I'm, I'm drawing boundaries for an area, and I'm uh, going through this demand aggregation in that area um, w without necessarily considerations for existing infrastructure. Um, this is going to be a product that I think is attractive to community-based organizations, nonprofits, uh, municipal governments, 
um, possibly some even speculative providers who, who are looking at a, at a community to invest. The other edition of the product is the service provider edition, and it will uh, support the ability to create the other campaign types that I talked about earlier. So if you're doing edge out from a middle mile, um, or if you're doing infill as an existing provider, there's some capabilities in that product, like third-party payment processors I mentioned, mm -hmm. um, the ability to include private layers of data for analysis. So Bailey talked about this a little bit. But, um, for example, if, if you wanted to pull in my existing fiber layer and display that over the top of my campaign, um, those kinds of things are, are features of the service provider product. Um, that's at a high level. Now, the pricing for that, um, we're not able to talk about specifics yet, um, but, but w where we're headed in terms of... Um, the public beta period is that there would not be uh, fees associated with backer, fund, backer funding, funds that are collected during the public beta. This is a really important point, and, and you know, folks on the call and, and the people that you know, you, you really want to take advantage of the public beta period in terms of getting in the queue. Um, I expect that we probably will end up with a model that is similar to other crowdfunding platforms where um, our fees are associated with a percentage of backer fees, uh, and then those are settled. I expect that will be the case, but during this public beta, uh, the pricing will be a flat fee um, for a community greenfield campaign. Um, and so if you're thinking about doing this, you know, sort of get in the queue early, uh, that's the message. Service providers, we don't know enough yet about the complex issues around service providers to set uh, really lockdown pricing. So that's going to be much more like an enterprise pricing model. Uh, we're really just going to have to talk to you. Um, we've got mechanisms on the site when it launches for you to reach out and uh, and engage us on that. that. That's sort of the universe of, of where we're at in terms of pricing without without disclosing the specific numbers. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's, and that's fair enough. Now, one of the questions I got um, uh, by email earlier today asked if this is a viable product, uh, product or service for, build, uh, for wireless network projects. And I guess it was because of the CrowdFiber name that the assumption was made that you know this is only for for fiber projects, but I'm assuming y'all being good business people that 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 it's not going to be exclusive just to fiber. That wireless will be eligible, but do you think that there will be wireless projects that will you know come on board as a result of this? I think it's certainly possible. I mean, we've worked with with customers that are doing LTE projects and things like that in the past, and. Uh, it's very reasonable to load in propagation maps uh, into this and, and work with those propagation maps. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, Craig, we also um, we also have in the drawing tools when you lay out a zone, you can uh, you can place various objects uh, that don't necessarily have to be conduit or fiber or splice vaults. You know the kinds of things that that are assets um, you associate with a fiber network. Um, you can uh, draw, for example. Um, uh, estimated coverage areas and things like that, and then use those to resolve addresses for backers that come in. Um, so there's, there's a lot of neat things that communities uh, and service providers could do on the wireless side, and we'll just have to we'll just have to see how, you know how people apply it. Mm -hmm. Now, um, when you're working with a uh, a public-private partnership, where you know both entities have uh, skin in the game and so forth, is there anything different about their approach to it? say, from a case in which it is just the community driving the project or it is primarily the ISP driving the project? Yeah, it's probably a little bit early to say on that, too, and, and that's going to vary from one, 
one community and one partnership to another because I you know I know I've worked in a lot of communities and um, sort of like mayors and towns the way towns are structured sometimes you have a very strong service provider led model sometimes you have a very strong municipal led model you know the uh, utility may be involved in uh, in in the mix as well so I'm not sure that we can uh, we can predict very accurately uh, how those kinds of things can play out. Um, that's that's really another area where I'm I'm excited to see how some of these early campaigns how they get off the ground and how they get structured. Mm-hmm. One of the things, though, I think, kind of no matter what, is that you know, we think the the social aspects of this will be really important. And so you could potentially argue that those ones that involve um, both providers and uh, and the community and the public are I think could do very well because you'd have a potentially very good data in terms of what's needed to realize a substantial change in terms of network infrastructure. And also potentially uh, the right people in the in the local environment to get the word out, right? To make this this be something that really takes off and becomes uh, something that people really get excited about. Right now, one of the things um, that I have seen with with crowdfunding in general, especially with with Kickstarter, um, has been a certain amount of. I don't know, rah-rah, you know, a certain amount of cheerleading that seems to be part of this as well. I'm not sure if that's driven entirely by, you know, we have this goal, so now we have a goal and a deadline, and, you know, and we're watching the meter, you know, it's kind of like the fundraising, and it goes on, you know, around, um, oh, I don't know, marathons and stuff that people do, and everybody's in there, and they have their own little, like, meter of how much money they've raised to date. Um, is the the cheerleading aspect of... Um, of uh, this very important. In other words, if I'm sitting there planning on, uh, you know, doing crowdfunding, should I should I basically be expecting to do some sort of um, serious public promotion or hyping or whatever you want to call it, but something that kind of uh, becomes, like I said, this whole cheerleading effect? Yeah, Craig, I'm glad you asked that. I mean. Um... Uh, it's it's an important issue and, and it, it allows us to kind of stress a, a key point. We we don't want people to think that um, that once the platform's out there and it's matured a bit and and uh, and broadly available, that creating a crowd fiber campaign is is going it, to it's right back to sort of build in and they will come. That that all of a sudden some of the things that the hard work that communities and service providers might have been doing before is is not necessarily as uh, as important or not required. Um, it, it basically is a tool that allows you to uh, organize and reduce the friction in a lot of the key activity areas, but it doesn't eliminate um, some of the old-fashioned you know, things that need to take place. So, for example, I would expect that a community would be much more successful, a community that has a, a marketing plan, uh, they have a campaign manager assigned, the campaign manager treats it the way they would a, uh, you know, a Kickstarter campaign or even a political campaign, um, I don't, you know, I would tend to stay away from terms like hype and, and cheerleading and things like that. I really think it's a very thoughtful marketing plan within the community that says, okay, we have this tool and we have a central focal point to organize our collective action, right? So mm-hmm. we, we've got a new new tool in the bag, but we still have to go and do some of those other things. Um, Bailey has talked about before how the traditional um, efforts on the community side tended to start in a lot of places with a oftentimes municipal funded feasibility study and you know we've we've many of us have done those things and everything else those feasibility studies are really you know they're fraught with friction and they're they're time consuming they can be very costly um they're and they may be a necessary part of the equation but 
we like to think that CrowdFiber produces um, produces some tools and some uh, some capabilities that make parts of what we used to do in a in a very manual way much easier as it relates to those uh, those kinds of feasibility efforts and those kinds of um, you know community building projects. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I would add one more thing, Craig, if I could to this is mm -hmm. is um, you probably followed the the TED talks from time to time, I'd imagine. Uh, there, there was a recent one I thought that was very interesting on helping people to start to manage their utility bills uh, better than they do. And they did a uh, tremendous study across the nation trying to figure out what, what would get people to conserve energy. And so they put out uh, all kinds of information on you know, what it does to the environment if you don't conserve. They put out information about how much money you could save if you conserve, these kinds of things. And they found that none of those really moved the market. But what they found did move the market was knowing what what your friends and neighbors were doing, how you stacked up uh, compared to yeah. others in your area. Mm -hmm. and, and I wonder if crowdfunding hasn't in some ways um, realized that same thing uh, and that by looking at those backers and seeing the people around you and hearing about those things through you know, either electronic mechanisms like Twitter and Facebook or word of mouth, that that doesn't become a pretty powerful piece of this. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, this is it may seem a little off topic, but I actually I think it's not. I was at a conference in uh New York where we were talking about uh healthcare uh related um applications where you're trying to get people to access information from home via the internet about uh you know healthy living and, and, and all you know, changing your routines and all of that. And what an interesting point that came out was um, it wasn't the, you know, the desire to be healthier or the fear that, you know, maybe you die early that would get people engaged um, as much. It would be the ability to see what their neighbors were doing, like how much, you know, exercise their neighbors were doing or how much, um, you know, adherence to the tips and guidelines for, you know, healthier living that was being recorded throughout their, their neighborhood, not necessarily like the person next door, but, you know, Community A is doing these tactics and they're doing this and so forth. But it was the competition with their peers or their neighbors became the driving force, whereas you would think that normally, well, you know, the issue is so important that people have got to rally around the issue and people sort of care about the issue but they tend to get off the dime based on a certain level of keeping up with the Joneses, if you will. Yeah, I think that's true. And um, I mean, I think the Google Kansas City projects in terms of the early uh, the neighborhood rallies that they were doing, the fiberhood rallies, I think it probably proved that out. You, you saw a lot of people get involved, which was a great thing. You saw uh, communities really competing with each other and, and, you know, doing creative things. That's really what it's all about. Mm -hmm. um, so I, uh, I I think you're right. I, I do think that's part of the part of the magic here. Now I'm assuming, and I think one of the one of the audience here in the chat room is also assuming that the platform will be integrated or able to be integrated with things such as Facebook and Twitter and so forth, so that you get the you know the value of being part of all these social networks. Yeah, that's right. That was one of the one of the real design goals was to make sure you know. Um, one of the great tools that we have available now is we didn't have 10 years ago was, you know, social networks and the way that we're sort of hyper-connected. Um, and then the other being uh, we didn't have these uh, ubiquitous payment networks, at least they weren't as ubiquitous in terms of everyone has an Amazon account or whether we're talking about PayPal or, or what have you. 
So those are those are two really important things. Um, so in the platform, if you um, if you go to a campaign, uh, you have the ability to share that campaign via a variety of channels. You know the ones that you would expect: Twitter, Facebook, email, and so on. Um, in addition, after you've backed a campaign, uh, you're presented with the option to share the fact that you are a backer and to encourage uh, yeah, others okay. via via the same channel. So. Yeah, that that's almost a uh, that's almost a checkbox thing, really. I, I imagine across the web world, in terms of making sure you're you're respecting people's desire to share and and uh, using those networks. Mm-hmm. Um, how? Let's see. I don't want to phrase this. In in the last week or so, I don't know, just in different conversations, there seems to be a theme coming out about. Um, you know, those of us in the industry see a certain level of demand and interest and need. And but counter or um, opposite of that are a lot of folks who don't really care. They don't really care much beyond can they get 500 channels, can they get a good cable deal, and they sort of view you know high speed internet and Netflix and cable as sort of all one and the same. From your experiences on on the ground, probably more so than mine, because you guys have really been in the trenches for a while, is there um, widespread knowledge and understanding of the value of broadband? Are we or or are we still at a phase where, you know, it is us industry insiders that are really pushing, pushing, and, and you know, and and understand the the value and all of that? But we're sort of ahead of a parade that's not fully formed. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, uh, pretty much every market uh, is like this that has a public policy component and has some implication to things like economic development. Um, I, all I can say, Craig, is if I looked at you know ten years ago when I started in this field, um, I looked at where the number of pockets uh, around the U.S., for example, where there were leaders who were advocating for this issue and and uh and and those kinds of things and and working with service providers and um and and with their community and I compare that to where it is now uh, I feel pretty good um that number has grown dramatically there are many many more um uh there are many many more markets where uh where those leaders exist and where um where people are educated now the reality is that we're still People who take an active role in something like this are, are still very much in the minority, and it's probably going to stay that way. I, I don't necessarily think we have to uh, we have to make everyone who's a consumer of a service uh, turn into an advocate for service, right? Let's hope we don't, mm-hmm. uh, and, or else, um, yeah, that, that's not exactly a good uh, good place to be. But I, I think there's a lot of um, there are a lot of communities out there. There are a lot of leaders in those communities. There are a lot of service providers that I think probably get a little bit of a bum rap. Um, you know, when you have service providers who show up on a top, you know, a bottom five list for customer support, that tends to get blanketed as all service providers must be bad. Or, um, and and I don't think those things are true. We work with uh, service providers all over the country that uh, want as much as anyone else to advance these kinds of services, but um, they have to do so with um, with their shareholders uh, looking over them and making sure that they're honoring the commitments that they've made. So mm-hmm. we're just trying to be. With Crowdfire, we're trying to be very thoughtful about this and trying to uh, trying to bridge the, uh, the the two different worlds there and the different stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Do Do you think that the um, if I'm asking you to project a little bit here, you know, a year down the road, will it be primarily 
smaller regional providers that take advantage of crowd fiber or, or tools like this, or will we see an equal amount of participation from the big giants as well as the little guys? I think that's probably farther out than a year to make that call would be my, my okay. first guess. That, that you know, big companies move pretty slowly. They've got long-term plans and, and projects, and to get something like this to be a part of their mainstream effort you know, probably takes a fair amount of time, and uh, it's going to need some testing and piloting and improving out. Uh, I think we'll see uh, early on that the smaller ones are going to be uh, more agile, looking for something different uh, and wanting to explore. But the, the ultimate um, balance for where that comes out, I, I just don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those service providers may have existing tools that they use internally today, you know, to Bailey's point, and, and uh, they have to consider integration and legacy issues there. Um, I love to think that down the road, um, tools like this, whether it's crowd fiber or someone else's, become a common part of expanding the reach of the fiber to the home systems uh, and fiber to the node systems. If you look at Fios and Uverse and, um, and and even what the cable industry is doing, it seems to me these kinds of tools, the kinds of campaigns that we saw a year ago or two years ago in Kansas City, seem to me they ought to be campaigns that are running for all of the big major service providers in the country. Um mm-hmm. Uh, those, those methods and those techniques are, are very cool, and, and uh, they, they produce some very interesting outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then continuing to jump around a little bit on a couple of different topics, on the back to the community side, do you think that it's going – has economic development now become sort of the default primary driver for why communities want to get engaged in these, or is it uh, telehealth, is it education – I mean, I realize there's a combination. It's not necessarily all of one or the other, but you sort of, I don't know, get a sense that maybe it's, you know, economic development has kind of become the magic point. As very much the same way that maybe five or six years ago, public safety was a big driver for Muni Wireless, right? When Muni Wireless was, wasn't being picked up, you know, after 2007 by communities for any other purpose, public safety tended to be the thing that you saw a lot of these networks being used for uh, because that was a thing that people could identify with and, and move on. Um, so I guess I'm asking is, is is economic development kind of becoming like public safety six or seven years ago? Is it becoming the thing where if you say, we want to build a network for economic development, more than likely you'll get a fairly decent amount of support from that community for the project? Well, you know, Craig, that's a good question. I I definitely see that um, there are many aspects people point to. The public, like you mentioned, the telehealth systems, um, even public safety still, things like that, and people kind of bring it all down to economic development. Um, I think you and I know that, that broadband is, is necessary but not sufficient for mm-hmm. real economic development. It, it's a piece of it, but it's not everything, and, and I hope that people will not um, will maintain that distinction because I think otherwise it's probably bad for the marketplace if uh, if people see it as too much of a panacea. Mm-hmm. I will agree with that one wholeheartedly because we saw lots of that before um, municipal wireless sorted itself out, and 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 so you know there there we go. Um, you know we talked earlier about the uh, the feasibility study, and it is somewhat of a lengthy process and so on. But um, maybe this is a chicken and egg question, but if you have the feasibility study first, 
will that make crowdfunding easier or should you try to do crowdfunding first and that that drive, you know, say the need to do uh, a feasibility study? Uh, you know, Craig, I, I kind of think um, using CrowdFiber or using a, a platform for demand aggregation like this um, maybe would be better positioned as a part of a feasibility study. Um, a lot of the feasibility studies uh, have focused on the supply side, you know, so they've gone out and mapped where fiber is existing and they've gone out and surveyed, do we really, ha are we served, are we underserved, and and on and on and on. And a lot of that uh, really is, has been on the supply side. Um, doing demand side for feasibility studies is has been, I know I spent a lot of time doing it, and it's um, very grueling, time-consuming, and expensive work, very high-touch uh, work. Um, mm -hmm. Sure, you can send out surveys and things like that, but we all know that survey results are very passive. Surveys are very passive to begin with, so you, you send them all out, and unless people are, a are advocates and activists like we were talking about before, they may not be necessarily uh, real, you know, uh, real motivated to respond to them. So then you get this uh, view of, uh, demand that is based on the most active subscribers and survey respondents, not necessarily a, a you know, not necessarily a, a good representation of the community at large. So I, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things I'd like to see. Maybe uh, maybe CrowdFiber gets adopted as a, um, a as a component of some of the feasibility studies to to really dig in and, and look at the demand side. Yeah, because the um, the the technology inventory that I refer to it, you know, the the part of trying to figure out uh what what fiber do you have, what this, what that and the other thing is indeed a a um a, a pain. But uh, you know, it's it's one that we kind of figure out what what's our best way of um of getting getting around that. So after your um uh after your beta phase, by the way, do you have a rough idea about how long that will last? No, at this point we don't. I think it's a little hard to say that. Let, let us get out of the gates next week and um, mm -hmm. and see how the first month goes, and and we'll uh, we'll try to answer that again. And then and then you'll start to refine things like you know the the, the pricing and how it'll work and and so forth. Now you're you've been working what with you said four organizations so far as part of this sort of pre-beta phase. Mm-hmm. That's Are right. Are there any are, are there any, um, I don't know, indications of anything that might resemble a trend or something that you found uh, either very encouraging or very surprising in the work that you've done so far? Are there any, like, preliminary lessons maybe? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I, I don't think I'd want to go out on a limb and refer to anything as a trend with only four uh, <laughs> only four of those projects. So um, Yeah, okay, that'd probably be a little risky. <laughs> <laughs> it. Maybe the only thing to say is that it is interesting to see kind of how the tool gets used. I think we'll we'll continue to get surprised. I mean, we found, you know, for example, with an early customer that they really liked it from an internal staff perspective, right? The customer service reps started saying, hey, this is a great tool. We need to see this sort of data. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we may actually get surprised about some of the use cases that develop. Yeah, the, the other thing, Craig, is probably worth mentioning is the diversity of the projects that were in our private beta Um Let's see, two were what I would describe as rural. I'm sorry, I would say three of those would be described as rural slash maybe slightly suburban. Uh, one of them was in an urban environment. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of them is uh, more than 10 zones. Um, another one is only one zone. Uh, some are, let's see, a couple are edge out. 
and two are greenfield. So you see these different dimensions of what we've been talking about. Um, that's mm-hmm. another reason I, I think I'd be reluctant to say anything about trends, just because there's been there's been a lot of diversity uh, of interest in the platform um, with communities of different profiles and parties with different needs. Mm-hmm. Now, are there any um, out of what I would call traditional uh, project management features in the in in the platform, or do you basically bring all of these to the table yourself? And then the, the 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 platform basically addresses you know the the crowdfunding and the uh, demand aggregation part. And we only have about three minutes, so try to fit that in. Yeah, there. So I'll be quick. We no, we haven't built in uh, features that would describe as project management. Our our hope is that, um, and we've had some interest from in this community. Our hope is that consultants in the industry and uh, even software developers over time. Uh, take an interest in working with the platform because the level of customization, the opportunity for customization when you start working with the communities, uh, for example, the communities need help in terms of, they may need help in terms of uh, how to put a marketing plan together. They may need, uh, service providers may need help in terms of how to work with the geographic data and to import existing customers on the service provider side for things like infill campaigns. Mm-hmm. So our, our hope is that we're not trying to create something that boils the ocean here. We uh um, there, there are great uh, platforms out there that uh, do a good job in these areas, and, and that uh, I, I think will represent a channel opportunity and, a, and an opportunity for other companies to build services around CrowdFiber as a platform. Mm-hmm. Coolness. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, that's probably a good point to, to keep in mind as well is that you still have to, you know, as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of work that has to go into this process, and the tool isn't going to do everything. It's more that it's going to facilitate some of the key aspects and, and, and make some of these things a little easier. Um, are there any last thoughts on, you know, crowdfunding in, in general? You know, like one of the lead-ups to the show, I said, well, you know, crowdfunding is new, but it's here. To, I think it's here to stay. Is that is that where you guys are, are looking at this? Is it going to be a permanent part of the landscape? And we got two minutes. It's certainly going to get explored more. I think, you know, both on the equity side with investments coming into it uh, going forward, I mean, I think we'll see more and more people having the opportunity to to be an angel investor. Uh, and so that's going to happen. I think you're going to see, I mean, already now you're seeing uh, you know, millions of, probably hundreds or maybe millions of campaigns on everything from raising funds for a weekend houseboat trip uh, by a bunch of friends to, you know, making a movie and big meaningful things. So uh, I think it's it's here for the next few years at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Craig, if we can just uh, qu- put a quick plug in. If anyone wants more information, I'm sure you can get this, but if you go to crowdfiber.com until our public beta next week, you can sign up on a little splash form, and, and we'll make sure that we keep you up to date with the mm-hmm. launch announcements and, and so on. And then follow us on Twitter at crowdfiber.com. Uh, we're, we're pretty active out there in terms of sharing perspective. And the blog is open at blog.crowdfiber.com. And uh, mm-hmm. that will be uh, pretty active leading up to launch as well. So please, you know, come out there and join us and get get involved. Okay. And in our last sixty seconds, I got one question: Will there be a consultant beta period? Uh, no, I think we would evaluate uh, during this public beta period uh, consultant opportunities in terms of you know consulting firms who approach us. We would evaluate the, those the same way that we are uh, evaluating the finite number of uh, campaigns that we can support. So. If consultants are interested, uh, they can, you know, come out there and, and reach out to us as well. Excellent. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, gentlemen, uh, thank you very, very much. We're running out of time, but uh, this has been great, and it's really good to see the work that's going into this and what's going to come from it. So 
Uh, Greg and Bailey, thank you very, very much for being here today. Great. Hey, thanks to you, Greg. Craig. Thanks to your audience as well. Yes, and definitely our audience. Thank you very much. Please tune in on Wednesday. On Wednesday, we're going to look at uh, various uh, business models and how we might be able to approach uh, traditional financial institutions. Thanks again, and have a great day, everyone.